0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We're going to be talking about Georgia State's comfortable 37-10 win over Troy to improve to seven and five on the season, and a program best six and two in Sunbelt play to put a capper on a strong close to the twenty twenty-one regular season. We'll discuss the ongoing situation with men's basketball and take some listener questions. But first, let's go ahead and jump right into that Troy game. Georgia State stifled the Trojans offense and overcame a pair of turnovers to jump out to a 17-0 lead in the first half. And after taking a 17-3 lead into the break, the story of the third quarter was the Panthers' defensive front and their five sacks. When Blake Carroll stripped sacked, Gunnar Watson and Jamil Muhammad returned at 72 yards for a score to make it 27-3 Georgia State the route was on so gentlemen lots to discuss in this last regular season game against the Troy Trojans what are your thoughts
1: yeah I mean I think it's a game we haven't really seen from this Georgia State team uh, I think it's the game at least margin wise that probably fans uh, were hoping for from the Arkansas State game where it was a team you looked at and it was like Georgia State's better than this team the lines in double digits uh, mistakes in that game cost Georgia State in that it kept it close throughout, even down to the final drive. But in this game, the mistakes that they made didn't cost them. Troy couldn't capitalize. Troy themselves made a a handful of mistakes, four turnovers on the day. And Georgia State capitalized on darn near every one of them. Seventeen points off of the four turnovers. And that so that's three of the four drives they got off of turnovers they scored on. And the one that they didn't, Darren Granger fumbled at the two-yard line on third and goal. And so if he doesn't fumble there, maybe you go for it, maybe you kick the field goal, but it feels like pretty decent odds that you were 2 yards away from being 4 for 4 on scoring off of turnovers, which is to say Georgia State won in the moments they needed to to jump out to a big lead and didn't let up and got 27 point win. Got that 7 and 5 regular season record, 6 and 2 in some bell play, which is the best ever for this team and Finished off
2: what's been a pretty incredible turnaround. You know, you can say that again. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy that Georgia State won this game because when you kind of peek under the hood, it looks as if it should have been a lot closer than a 27-point game. Um, you know, Georgia State offensively was 2 of 11 on third down. And this is one of the better third down teams in the conference. Um, you know, it just it did not seem like... They had everything in order. You know, they had nine penalties for 90 yards, you know, just kind of made some mental mistakes and some sloppy play. But like you said, they kind of were dominant when Troy made mistakes. And, you know, they really took advantage of Troy's mistakes. And I think when Georgia State wasn't making mistakes, they were efficient in their ability to move the ball and to score, which, you know, that's exactly what you want to see out of a team. You want to see, you don't want necessarily perfect 60 minutes. But if you're able to capitalize on another team's mistakes and if you're able to find ways to score when you're not making mistakes, you know, you're going to come away with wins like this. And, you know, Jordan talked about the story of the
1: third quarter being those five sacks that defense got that really flipped the game, especially that strip sack return for a touchdown. But the story of the game in general was the defense. And what I mean by that is just kind of Troy was... Damned if they do, damned if they don't in this one. Because early on, they were running a lot of trying to get their run game going. They were doing some quick passes, some quick screens out to the receivers. And the result was that on their first six drives, on first and second down, they ran 15 plays and got 12 total yards. And they were 2-7 on third down in that stretch. One of which was on a penalty on Georgia State that extended the drive. It wasn't working. But what it was doing was at least keeping the pass rush and all mostly at bay. And then as they got later into the second quarter, they started hitting on some more pass plays downfield, getting bigger plays. They ended up getting that field goal right before the half. 17-3 game. And they kept that up and they hit some more shots in the third quarter. But the problem was, as they started running more and more long developing plays, the pass rush started getting home. And that's why the, the third quarter was the explosion it was, where Blake Carroll gets a sack Uh, Ja'Shawn Taylor gets a sack. Jamil Muhammad gets two in the space of three plays. And then the exclamation point, the final play of the quarter, Dante Wilson. uh, And I think he got credited a half sack with someone else. uh, Trey Moore, maybe Uh, they get a sack. It just Troy was trying to avoid that being the way the game went, but they had to start going to their pass game to make plays happen. But then even though they were getting some big chunk plays in the passing game, just as many times as they were dropping back, It was, you know, when the passers started getting home, they just didn't have a chance.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny because at first I thought that the passing game for Troy was going to have some success against Georgia State outside of, you know, the sack Yardage and stuff like that. I figured Georgia State would get home, but it seemed like with the quick passes, they weren't working. And I knew they would, you know, try to go upfield. But that third quarter honestly just came out of nowhere. Like, yes, Georgia State was getting pressure before and, you know, forcing Gunnar Watson to make some, you know, throws and he was getting hit as he was throwing before. But I mean, they were getting home and it was just like the Troy offensive line at halftime turned into jelly.
1: Yeah. And I think the funny thing is, I'm trying to look at the stats right now. So Georgia State outscored Troy in the third quarter, 13-0. The only touchdown being that defensive touchdown for Jamil Mohammed. Troy outgained Georgia State in that quarter, 91-73. But it didn't matter because they got a couple of big pass plays that set them up in good field position. And what happened once that happened, once they were in the good field position, was Georgia State's defense made plays, one of which was a fumble returned all the way back for a touchdown. The other ones were a, a pair of sacks by Muhammad that I talked about that turned first and goal at the 10 into fourth and goal at the 28 and into missed field goal. You know, it's just in the, the part of the field where we keep seeing this defense make plays, it happened once again. I said, I don't remember the first time I mentioned it not feeling like a coincidence, but it keeps bearing repeating and I keep mentioning it. Like there's something to it that this defense just keeps making plays in plus territory
2: that's kept them out of trouble a lot. You know, I feel like there have been a lot of games where teams have left four points on the board every single time they line up and kick a field goal and make it. And I mean, and the, the drive where Muhammad got the two sacks, like Troy missed that field goal because they got pushed back so far. You're leaving seven points on the board right there, you know? And like, obviously Georgia state was kind of cruising at that point, but like, you're really taking a team out of the game and, you know, it's, I I can't remember what you had put in your uh, Thursday after post a few weeks ago, but I remember the first quarter usually being the worst quarter for Georgia state, but a lot of good teams take teams out in the third quarter, whether they get the ball first at halftime or not, you know, like that's, that is the quarter where it's just really, you can take a team completely out of the game if you have a lead. So kudos to Georgia state for being able to capitalize like that. And like we talked about it, had a question about just, what was it going to be
1: facing a Troy team with the interim coach? And what was the mentality going to be? And what was the mentality going to need to be from Georgia state? And they met the task. They were there from the first snap. They clearly wanted to play that game, wanted to win that game. And I don't want to say that would ever have been in doubt necessarily, because this year, especially down the stretch, this team has been showing up every game. You know, the only loss they had in this six and one final stretch was at Louisiana in a game that they were leading for most of it. So it's not a surprise, but Troy was the team with something to really play for. Troy had a bowl berth they could still had to clinch. Georgia State was set. And, you know, we'll talk about bowls later on, but I don't know that a 6-6 six six Georgia State bowl team looks that much different in the eyes of these different bowl committees than a 7-5 and five one. So it was really playing for yourself and playing for what you were trying to prove. And sometimes that's not a successful way to get 18 to 22 year olds up to play. Sometimes the team comes out flat and it didn't come to that. Georgia state was making mistakes early that maybe prevented from being a larger lead with the two turnovers they had in the first quarter, but they were obviously moving the ball. They were getting stops on defense. So it wasn't a situation where it was like, Oh, Georgia state's letting this team hang around. Cause they didn't show up to play. Like they were there, they were making plays and eventually the fair result came with them eventually winning
0: 37-10. So we have a lot more to talk about with football besides the Troy game, starting with some coaching moves within the Sunbelt Conference. As you have undoubtedly heard by now, uh, Billy Napier, coach of Louisiana for the past several years, has accepted the head coaching job at the University of Florida, which means that the Raging Cajuns head coach job is open as of now, as well as the Troy job after Troy fired Chip Lindsey this past week. And of course, uh, moving up into Conference USA, Jacksonville State has hired Rich Rod, the former offensive coordinator at ULM. So lots and lots and lots of stuff to get into here, gentlemen. What are our thoughts?
1: I will say that, especially as this season continued to go well, I think that Billy Napier's done a really good job of knowing what he wanted to get out of the next job if he was looking to move up. And he passed up on some other opportunities, and I thought this was going to be the year that he was going to finally be leaving, just because it seemed like he passed out passed on enough jobs that it was like, all right, he's obviously looking for something. And then the Florida job came open, and they had interest in him, and it was like, okay, this makes sense because you know you could have gone to Tennessee, maybe if they were interested, but Tennessee's had its issues over the years. Um, You could have gone to. LSU but it didn't sound like they were interested in him and you know I don't really know why that was the case especially as Florida started calling but uh, Auburn was also a job that maybe he was getting rumored for last year and if he was interested maybe he didn't want to deal with being in the SEC East or sorry in the SEC West but now he's got this job it's one of the better jobs in college football you've just got to deal with the daunting task that is your rival Georgia in the SEC East but Other than that, right now, it's a little bit open to where if you can come in and install your brand of football that he's been able to install in Cajun land, then no reason to think he couldn't have success there. But I I will say that I was not surprised that this was the year and that when this job happened, I definitely wasn't shocking to me.
2: Yeah, it wasn't shocking to me either. Um, you know, what he did for the Louisiana program, um, you know, was incredible and it remains to be seen, obviously, if he can replicate that level of success at a big school like Florida. But, you know, that is absolutely something that if you're one of the better Sunbelt teams, like, you know, we've seen it with App State, you know, we've, you know, might see it with a couple other schools in the Sun Belt, um this year and I guess in the next couple of years. Um, but, You know, if you're perennially winning in this conference, somebody is going to call your name, and you know you might hold out for a big time job like Florida. Um, But I, I don't want to speculate necessarily on the Louisiana job, but I do want to you know kind of bring it back to Georgia State just for a second and say, I don't know if they're playing Georgia State and if Louisiana and Georgia State will match up on the football field next year. Um, But if they do, I would like it if Georgia State shows that they're a better team next year because of the history that Georgia State has with their coach versus the fact that Louisiana needs to go out and get another coach and there's going to be probably a lot of roster turnover there. Yeah, I mean,
1: we don't have the sources into the Louisiana coaching search but it would not surprise me and I know that this is the feeling of people in the in the know who cover and are around Louisiana, that they would like to get a guy who's been in the program before, and it would not necessarily be that national search that gets them just the hot name or whatever. They think that if they can get someone who's been in Billy Napier's coaching realm since he's been in Lafayette, that it's a guy that they think to just keep the train rolling. That's what they would be hoping for. And so, it, you know, especially given that the West has kind of been a bit of a mess underneath Louisiana since the the divisions existed because Louisiana has been the representative every time. And this year they won by a whole six games at eight and no versus the next best team was two and six in conference. I I still think that they're going to be a good team. I do not expect this to be something that drops them off a cliff. I think that they will be fine, especially if they make a smart hire now into the next hire, they're going to have to bring in their own guys and keep the train going Past the next two years or so, but I think that they've got it instilled right now. They've got a group of guys now that they know what they want to do, and at least until the current crop of players uh, is gone, I think the Louisiana is still probably going to be the force to be reckoned with in the West. And yeah, you know, we'll see with Troy. Troy is interesting to me because they are going to the West with all these expansion moves that have happened in the Sun Belt, and they. I don't even know how you know good or bad of a hire Chip Lindsey was. It didn't work out. And I think at least part of it is that there were a lot of good teams in the East that got better than they did. You know, Georgia State, even if they're the marginal case, Georgia State has been better than Troy the last few years. Coastal made a huge leap and usurped what Troy had been in you know the years like 2017, 2018. App is app. And stays being Appalachian State and they've been the classic conference. And so Troy's got an interesting situation where even if you do grant that Louisiana is this power of the West that needs to be beaten before you think that they're going to fall off this uh, crown that they've held, there's a real wide open space for someone to come in and challenge them because the teams in the West haven't been doing it the last few years. So who they hire. And I think they're another team that wants someone with university ties and Troy ties. It's going to be a big hire. And I think they'll have an opportunity to maybe get back to where they hoped they could have been under Chip Lindsey.
2: Yeah. You know, we talked about it before with the expansion moves that the Sunbelt made, but I feel like Troy is the biggest winner out of the conference because in football specifically, because, you know, they like the East has gotten better around them. You know, they've had a bit of a disappointing run, you know, with Chip Lindsey. That's why they let him go. But you know, it's not going to get easier with the additions that the Sunbelt East are making. You know, Jackson, not Jacksonville State, geez, James Madison is in the FCS playoffs currently. Um, you know, Marshall, that's a good team. Uh, Old Dominion, you know, they aren't having to say. Well, they finished on a five minute run. They're going bowling. Yeah, I was about to say, like they're not having the same level of success as, you know, those other two teams. But like that's a bowling team, you know, and so the Sunbelt East is just going to be very, very clogged with talent, you know. And so if for somebody like Troy to just move over and, you know, kind of be in that weaker Sunbelt West, like that's huge. Like they I'm not going to sit here and say that they could dominate it, but I mean, you know, until – we see what the you know the next few years look like. It also wouldn't surprise me if they did go over there and kind of just butt heads with Louisiana and kind of run that comp, or run that division for a while. Over
1: under on this coaching carousel ending in the next like two months because it feels like it's going to be never ending. It feels like. It's gonna be one big name moving to another school to another school and continue having a knock on effect and Brian Kelly picking up fake southern accents and <laughs> passing that on to someone else pack, picking up a fake northern accent. you know
2: I don't think it'll be this crazy for the whole two months, but I'm still gonna take the over on that. I do think that because of this being the first like quote unquote normal year after covid. And uh, the way that the new transfer rules happen, you know, the way that like we're kind of just like throwing money around from ads and boosters and all that stuff. It also wouldn't surprise me if we're sitting here, you know, a couple of weeks after the national championship game going, oh, OK, so this person is gone now. And, you know, there's already a signing period down. But like, who cares? You know, the one
1: studying effect on this whole thing might be that it sounds like Notre Dame are going to hire their defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, as the head coach to replace Brian Kelly, because it's been all these big swings and get people leaving schools that you look at and be like, how did that coach decide he needed to leave? Like Lincoln Riley leaving to USC. The guy leaving the Oklahoma job sounds crazy. The guy leaving the Notre Dame job sounds crazy. Uh and it maybe that's the one thing that's gonna get everything back on track, and you're just gonna stop having these massive swings happen with these big name schools losing their coaches, and maybe this is what brings it all back to normal, and now it's back to you know, fill in the up-and-coming offensive play play caller that team likes, and that's who they hire. And we stop having this craziness. But I gotta say, loving the
2: chaos of the coaching carousel. I just love how random it's been, you know? I think it was, Lincoln to USC was Sunday because they came out after the Texas State game and he was like, I'm not going to LSU, which, okay, fine, whatever. Um, I didn't think it made sense for you to leave Oklahoma for LSU anyways, but, you know, cool. Um, and then Sunday, there was just that random tweet that was like, oh, USC is interested in Lincoln Riley. Okay, you know? And then like three hours later, it's like, all right, it's done. He's gone. And it was like, Dang! That's pretty crazy. It is hilarious to me that
1: they each, you know, Lincoln Riley used the I'm not the LSU job as the smokescreen for really taking the USC job. And Brian Kelly did the opposite. He got asked about the USC job a couple of weeks ago and was like, you'd have to give me two hundred fifty million dollar or whatever. It was some quote like that. And then he took the LSU job. It's funny how everyone had these two jobs packed. It's like, oh, this is who they're going to get. And they were just smoke
2: screens for each other. No, this is why we have Twitter. This is why we play the game.
0: Yeah, if you're not following us on Twitter, by the way, please do, because that's where the bulk of our, uh, our content ends up being posted and all of the fun and games and the shenanigans over there. So let's go ahead and move on to talk about the Sun Belt All-Conference Honors, which were just released today as of recording this podcast. Uh, up first, Player of the Year, Coastal's quarterback Grayson McCall for the second year running. Offensive Player of the Year, South Alabama wide receiver Jalen Tolbert. Defensive Player of the Year, App State linebacker DeMarco Jackson. Newcomer of the Year, App State quarterback Chase Bryce. Freshman of the Year, Louisiana running back Montrell Johnson. Coach of the Year, Louisiana Billy Napier. And from Georgia State, on the first team, Left guard, Shamarius Gilmore, and safety, Antavius Lane. Second team, tight end, Roger Carter, and center, Malik Sumter. Third team running back Tucker Gregg, right guard Pat Bartlett, and defensive lineman Dante Wilson, inside linebacker Blake Carroll, and cornerback Quavin White. Honorable mentions for the Panthers: running back jamias Williams, tight end Aubrey Payne, defensive lineman Thomas Gore, and inside linebacker Jordan Venzial. So, lots of honors for the Panthers here, thirteen, which I believe is a program record for one off um, the program record. one one off program record.
1: Excuse fourteen me. last year was the record
0: while still a very, very impressive showing by the Panthers in what has been a very, very good end of the season for this football team. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts?
2: Honestly, I think it's a really good list, and I do think they were a little too harsh to Georgia State's running backs. Um, I really felt strong about my Tucker's going to make second team take um it's nice that he was honored obviously and i'm sure you know he's not going to be too upset about it you know he's you know i'm here to help the team win and you know he still gets an honor you know but uh i will definitely say the one on this list that surprised me the most was ant lane being on first team and i'm not going to sit here and say that it wasn't deserving at all because i think the run that he's been on the last like three, four weeks has been incredible. Um, but I did not see him being on the first team. I thought, you know, maybe he would sneak in on second team or third team. Cause you know, he's basically been an interception machine the last few weeks. Um, more specifically, you know, last week he took the record for, you know, most interceptions in a Georgia State career. He tied with Kwa White for a week and, you know, they were also tied with Chandon Sullivan. And, you know, and then obviously Lane took the lead. But uh, I did not see him ending up on the first team. So kudos to him and, you know, kind of bouncing back from a slow start to the season.
1: Nailed that second half breakout pick we did in the middle of the season. Gonna pat myself on the back for that one felt like there were these better things to come, and that that interception against u l m was finally gonna get over the it's it's funny you know not to just take a total aside, but the interception subplot was a pretty big deal throughout the first half of the year. It's like, uh is Georgia State gonna get an interception? Do
2: you know how many they ended up with david oh i I feel like I just looked at it. It's like it's like eight or nine or something like it's that ten. And and it's it's not 10 yeah. over the 12 games or whatever. It's like 10 over the last like five or something like that. It's something yeah. crazy. Just want to, you know, mention that that
1: happened in an emphatic way and the turnover started happening. And it's not, not the reason why the team started having a lot of success defensively because some of these interceptions have been huge drive-killing interceptions. But uh, I digress. And I would join you in your... Suggestion that maybe both running backs were a a team lower than I thought they should have been. I think you easily could have made the argument for Tucker being second team and that Jam should have been third team. But I don't have a ton of fault with the list, if I'm honest. I think it's a, a good representation of the guys that really showed out for Georgia State. I really enjoy that the three senior offensive linemen all got honored. You got Marius on the first team. Malik on the second team, which he's a guy I've been like, please notice this guy's a really good center. And it happened this year. And then Pat Bartlett on the third team. It just feels fitting, especially with the way we know Coach Elliott has wanted to build this roster out and build around this team with running the ball and tough in the trenches. It just feels fitting that those three honored together as seniors and Georgia State's got three offensive linemen. And you know obviously that's warranted because they had a good year. It's another top 15 rushing
2: attack in the nation, and those guys are a big part of why. Honestly, so Tucker currently has nine touchdowns and uh, 899 yards. I feel like if he got, say, 20 more yards and like 10 less carries or something like that, or like that 10th touchdown, maybe a couple more touchdowns, I feel like he would have moved up a, a list. You know, there's a lot of good runners in the conference. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, that they were absolutely shafted because, you know, that's not the case. But I I really feel like just watching, you know, the way that the when Tucker Gray kind of got unlocked earlier in the season, that really started propelling the Georgia State offense to being what it currently is.
1: And Jam leads the conference in yards per carry, uh, which shouldn't surprise you with some of the long runs he's been able to bust off. I guess the other thing I would say is I'm glad that Thomas Gore got recognized as a guy who has been talking about how good he's been playing. I feel like he maybe warranted a spot on an actual team other than the honorable mention spot. But I think the starting point is it's good that he got honored because he's had a great year and now he's got a some belt honor to show for it. And the last thing is there feels like a missing elephant in the room in that Noel Ruiz is a really good kicker and was not honored. But I just don't think that the team gave him enough opportunities to shine. Like last year he was, I believe the first team kicker and he had more opportunities to kick. And this year he just didn't have as many. So, you know, I, I feel bad because I think that he is probably one of the best three or four kickers in this conference. I believe Coach Elliott went as far as to call him the best in this conference uh, in his press conference last week after the win over Troy. But it's a guy that like probably should be there. But when you don't kick double digit field goals in a season, you you lose the opportunity to really win those votes from people who are just looking at, all right, how many kicks do these people make this season?
2: No, it's really funny you say that because if you look at the numbers, he's having a statistically better season than he was last year. He's just kicked less games. Like, he's kicked less frequently. Georgia State is too good at actually scoring when they get in scoring range. I think think this past game was, like, the first time that their red zone rate was, like, under 50% or something like that in terms of touchdowns over field goals. Um, I'd have to fact check that. But, like, yeah, like, they just... Stopped using Noel Ruiz this year because they actually got into the end zone. Yeah, I
1: I lied. He did have double digits, but he he had 12 on the year, 12 attempts, and he made 10 of them. And three of those were in this last game. So he was at nine single digit attempts going into the regular season finale. And it's, you know, sometimes these awards are like that, where it's just based on pure output. But we still think Noel did a good job as kicker. He gets the Sunbelt Award in our hearts.
2: Um, you know, we just, we just got done talking about Troy. So I feel like this is some pretty uh, appropriate developing news. Um, Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports is reporting that Troy is finalizing a deal to hire Kentucky defensive coordinator, a co-defensive coordinator, John Summerall, to be their next head coach. Um, it's another body uh, from that Kentucky well that Co- Troy has dipped in before. Um coach Neil Brown was from Kentucky, and you know he was kind of the best coach that Troy has had in their recent history um that was one before chip Kelly, I believe um no maybe two because I think chip no. Lindsey excuse me yeah no he replaced th- he chip replaced Neil Brown gotcha okay um so you know there's the answer that Troy has been looking for, so you know we'll see what that le- what level of success that we you know, love summer all can bring.
1: We love breaking news on the pod because we were just talking about this and I know I specifically said that they were looking for a Troy guy and he was on Neil Brown's staff at Troy and he was one of the names that I saw from people in the Troy world that they wanted and that it was going to probably take Pony up a little bit because Kentucky didn't really want to lose him. So if this is the guy, it's definitely a commitment from Troy's athletic department that they want to win, they want to get this guy, even if it means paying more than maybe for another candidate on the list. So everything I said earlier kind of stands with this. Like It feels like there's an opportunity for Troy to get better in the West, and this is the type of name that them getting signals that they think they are going to do that and want to do that and getting ready to do that. Every hire is either really good or really bad in the moment, and then you have to see how the games play out. But this is the one I would look at and say, that's a good hire by Troy.
2: I would agree. You know, Kentucky football might be a meme, um, given where their basketball team has been in the last, you know, decade and, and change, but it was a good Kentucky team this year. You know, their offense was kind of the world beater and, you know, and they didn't have the UGA historic defense or anything like that. But, you know, it's not like we're talking about a team who was a terrible defense. You know, I mean, for comparison's sake, If you look at the SEC in conference play, Kentucky gave up the same amount of points as Bama did. You know, like that was tied for third in the conference. That's a good defense. So regardless of if the defensive coordinator is blowing smoke up people's ears, you know, clearly something that he's saying is right, you know, so this is a good, I would say this is a good hire for Troy. If you're just looking at on paper and, you know, we'll see how this affects their recruiting. We'll see what kind of staff that he puts together. Um, If anybody from Troy's staff right now gets retained, you know, I don't know those things, but, you know, I would also say that this is a good hire. All right. So, of course, uh,
0: the problem with recording late at night on a Thursday when news, quote unquote, breaks like this is we don't know if. Or when it's going to actually come to fruition. So, by the time you listen to this on Friday, very well could be done, or it could still be just a rumor floating on your Twitter timeline. But let's go ahead and move on to some basketball talk here. And boy, do we have a lot to discuss here. Georgia State men's basketball played a game at Rhode Island where only seven scholarship players traveled due to a positive COVID test and five close contacts who were unvaccinated. They lost said game. The game scheduled for December 1st against Tennessee State was canceled out of caution. Due to the same need for contact tracing. Assuming things get back on schedule, the Panthers will travel to Mercer on Saturday, where if the game goes on, they could have all the close contacts back in action. That game in Macon is scheduled for 2 p.m. Eastern and is on ESPN+. Plus. The Bears are 4-4 after a 73-71 win at Kennesaw on Wednesday and are rated as the 208th team in the nation per KenPom.com. So, gentlemen, let's talk basketball.
1: Yeah, this uh, this team may be a different situation than the highs of the highs that's been the football program these last couple of weeks. And, you know, I think the news broke maybe a day or a day after we released the last pod. And so obviously we didn't talk about the events that unfolded that led to a depleted Georgia State team going up to Rhode Island. And we haven't been able to talk about it since. And part of me think that's a good thing because... Your immediate reactions maybe aren't the fairest ones, and you you get time to let stuff ruminate, and you start to maybe develop a little bit more of perspective, and you don't necessarily say the first thing on your mind. But I would still say that it's a disappointing thing to have happen, especially because last year this team went basically a month and a half without playing with a lot of the same issues, and last year it wasn't super preventable because everyone was kind of dealing with the same circumstances where the vaccine wasn't immediately readily available. And so last year, Georgia state was not alone in having games canceled and even having extended stretches for games were canceled this year. It was a little bit more preventable. And I guess the other part of it is that Rhode Island would have been a really interesting test for this Georgia state team. Similarly matched, at least as far as the metrics go it would have been a chance to have a take-two at Richmond where you didn't think you showed up and played very well, but it was another team that you should be able to compete with and tells you maybe something about where the season's going, what to work on. The reality was the Rhode Island game told you nothing. You know, I didn't watch the game. I didn't watch it live, and I haven't decided to go back and watch it after for the fact that I really don't think there's anything you can take away from it, just given that Georgia State didn't have but one starter, didn't have but seven scholarship players. And, you know, that is also a disappointing thing, just for the fact that you're almost out of non-conference play and there's still questions that need to be asked as stuff to get sorted as you go into conference play. And this was a missed opportunity to learn against a peer opponent.
2: Yeah, I mean, I... (laughs) I think my initial reaction to the news was a pretty strong sense of disappointment. But, you know, at the end of the day, people got to realize that actions have consequences and an unfortunate consequence of certain actions um, was that Georgia State was a little bit underprepared and underrepresented for a game that I think should have served as a nice barometer for, you know, where we think the program should be. And, you know, and I think watching the game a little bit and kind of following the game. Like there were some individual things that were nice to take out of it. Um, You know, Kane Williams had, I feel like an uncharacteristically elite performance at the line. Um, You know, he shot 16 free throws and made 15 of them. I think he was, I believe 15 of 15 at one point. So, you know, he just missed that last one. Um, But you would have really liked to have seen Georgia state, be healthy, be vaccinated, you know, um, and not be in the situation that they were in. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate that they put themselves in that position. But, you know, like you said, it's not going to be like last year where everybody's just going to be and they're just going to be without players for a stretch or they're going to have a whole bunch of games canceled. You know, once guys, you know, clear kind of the protocols, like they'll be back and they'll try to get a full strength everybody and you know they're just going to keep going on whether you know you're on the train or you're not
1: well and i should also say that it's not going to be like last year because if it continues into conference play if the game against tennessee state that got canceled earlier this week uh got couldn't happen on time it would be a forfeit and a loss for georgia state so direct difference from last year is that you're not going to be able to make up games or try and make up games which georgia state was thankfully able to do last year on a couple of occasions and come closer to filling out their uh conference schedule they were able to play that won't happen this year it'll be losses and you know i don't know how a loss that's a forfeit would factor into seeding decisions obviously it's a little bit different than if you lost to a team head-to-head that maybe you shouldn't have but if georgia state were to go on a run and be looking to the tournament, I don't think a loss like that would help their resume and help their seeding if they were to make the NCAA. So certainly you don't want to have that aside from just the loss of rhythm because we, we saw that. I mean, last year we saw when they missed games, it took them a little bit of time to find it again. And by the end of last year, in spite of the games they lost, they were playing pretty good basketball up until the final. And this year, you know, I guess if and when the Mercer game happens and everything's still up in the air as for you know it at this time before the Tennessee State game I think the game was still on and then the day before is when it got canceled and so by the time you're listening to this pod there might be a final answer on it happening or it not happening but if it does happen I believe that anyone who was a close contact who's not tested positive could play. So we could see just the regular Georgia state unit out there. And it's back on track from thence on, but you know, I guess remains to be seen. And it's a Mercer team that I think they've dropped off a little bit this past year. They weren't nearly as, they aren't nearly as good as they were last year. They lost some key guys, but it's a road test and it'll be the first real game that you've played since that championship against high point. And so that's, you know, sometimes it takes a while to find your rhythm again, and I think, you know, Georgia State's going to have to figure out a way to get back on track fast.
2: You know, I hope they do for their sake. You know, you really had an opportunity this year to kind of cement your status upon the elite of the mid-majors, and I think that... For a variety of reasons, it's kind of taken a step back and, you know, kind of looking ahead at the schedule, the opportunities to really showcase, you know, kind of where you are talent wise and avoid the dreaded, you know, terrible seed in March. If you were to get there, those opportunities are kind of slipping away right now. You know, it's going to have to be a situation where Georgia state goes on the road and beats a Mississippi state team and beats a Georgia tech team. And, you know, can they do that? Yeah. They definitely have the talent to be able to hang with those guys, but you know, are they going to be able to get the reps in to, you know, really have the chemistry and gel before then? I mean, time will tell. That's what makes this game really important.
1: And the thing is, and, and this is unfair, but it's also how it is. I think there's a little bit of building up like, all right, Georgia State's got to get back in the tournament. It's been building because I think there's frustration with how the last two seasons ended in the manner in which they did. So I don't think this is doing anything to help that feeling among the fan base. And so fair or unfair, it's adding on to mostly negative storylines coming up and where people are feeling like this isn't working right now. And so finding a way to reverse it and get back on track and get some bankable good wins, good performances, sort of the only way George J can reverse that trend. And, you know, that's not how any coach is going to pr- approach a game. Like it's not going to be a factor in what coach Sinear's thinking or what anyone on the team is thinking, but it is a factor in just the realm of georgia state sports right now and it, it, you know you can't you can't ignore that that is the context that we are going through this in and that people are going to be looking for some pretty immediate success or it's it, the tide may never turn back so
0: last but certainly not least, today's episode, we're going to hit you with a trio of listener questions. First up, Michael on Twitter wants to know what we think the likelihood of the coaching carousel coming anywhere near Summerhill is. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts?
1: I liked this question. And uh, I guess the truth is, I th- I feel like it'd be naive to say that no one leaves Georgia State. Because every offseason there's been turnover and some of it's been guys getting moved on and other it's been guys getting opportunities so I don't know if your your question was specifically about Coach Elliott or if it was about everyone but for me I think it seems a little bit unlikely this is going to be the offseason that Coach Elliott gets a move just because I think he's maybe a little bit behind other candidates at this level for the G5 coach gets a better you know, power gig whatever um, but I certainly think you know quietly guys like Josh Stepp and Trent McKnight have been doing really good jobs on the offensive side of the ball, developing their position groups and recruiting and stuff like that. It, it gets harder and harder for bigger schools to not notice. And so if you were telling me that someone was going to get poached from like the offensive staff or one of the defensive assistants is gonna move on, like it wouldn't shock me because good coaching and results bear out, and you can definitely point to a couple of instances where Georgia State has lost good coaches because other staff saw you know sam sam Pittman, arkansas saw jimmy smith doing a good job recruiting atlanta running back coach for georgia state and you know brought him over to fayetteville and so that's just kind of the nature of where georgia state's at that that could happen
2: yeah i don't want to sit here and say that it will not happen because that would be naive but i also can't say that there's been any smoke or anything that we've seen that would indicate somebody you know, it was a clear candidate for something. So, you know, maybe if it was in a couple of weeks, I think after bowl season, it'll be a little bit better of a time to kind of assess the landscape, you know, especially for some of those Georgia state assistant coaches. Um, but I, I can't say that I see anything right this second. The one that would watch for me would be not even necessarily
1: like, Oh, LSU needs this coach. So they're going to look to Georgia state. Cause maybe that's not the leap that's going to happen, but, the crossfire from these big staffs going down and trying to get other, you know, an offensive play caller at some school. And then that school needs a job and then they get someone and then like, that's the zone where I think Georgia state could maybe have some staff members go other places is after the first hire happens. And it's kind of the reaction to that sort of like what I was talking about with all those big swings in the head coaching market, making the next big swing happen. I, I feel like that's, if there's going to be a move, it might be in, in the realm of something like that.
0: All right. Next question from Will on Twitter wants to know best nickname ideas for the duo of Tucker, Gregg and Jamias Williams.
2: So, I, you know, this is really tough. Um, I don't really know who came up with Thunder and Lightning, uh, but I saw that on a post this week and I got to say that that's. It's very indicative of those run styles and I, you know, I just, I feel that that's a really good one, you know, something along the lines of like a, a flash and a boom, you know, kind of like that would be a good combo. So, you know, I feel like that's one that I can give, I guess, but you know, I don't know what Brady's got. I'm not great at giving nicknames. I usually am, but
1: the creative juices aren't flowing as we record this podcast. And I also can't fault that Thunder and Lightning is kind of a stock one. The first one I remember that was Thunder and Lightning was Ron Dane and Tiki Barber, the New York Giants in the early 2000s. And, you know, it exists for a reason. It's a a running back nickname pairing for a reason because it just it works for the two opposing styles. So, uh, you know, it's not answering the question. I'm taking the cop out. I just I can't beat Thunder and Lightning. Boomy in the comments on this, the release of this pod. I'm being, I'm being lazy. I, I don't have an answer.
0: Well, I think Thunder and Lightning is a pretty fantastic nickname for that duo. Lots and lots of explosiveness and uh, quick action coming from them. So, last question here from listener, longtime friend of the pod, Ben wants to know what Bull and Bull opponent is most intriguing. So, for those of you who are not in the know, let's go. On down the line of possible uh, matchups and predictions that we've seen so far, 247 Sports is projecting Cure Bowl in Orlando versus Old Dominion. CBS is projecting Lending Tree in Mobile versus Old Dominion. College Football News projecting the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery on Christmas Day versus Miami University of Ohio. Sports Illustrated Lending Tree Bowl versus Northern Illinois. ESPN, a duo of predictions, Lending Tree versus Western Michigan and Camellia versus Ball State coming from the four-letter network. Uh, Pro Football Network is projecting Lending Tree versus Old Dominion. Athlon Sports is projecting Lending Tree versus Central Michigan. And USA Today is projecting Lending Tree versus Kent State. I think technically there's a couple more possible landing spots that are not super likely, but still technically possible depending on how different bulls shake up but those are the most likely destinations for the panthers uh gentlemen what are your opinions
1: well i like that most of them are the lending tree which is the one in mobile on the 18th as opposed to the camellia bull on the 25th but then i remember a lot of these bull projection people don't actually know all of the different or don't use all the different tie-ins even if they know them and so that makes me worried that they're like out of the know and they don't actually my gut has been saying it's going to be camellia which is unfortunate for a plethora of reasons Uh, but i think the lending tree given the other tie-ins the app and louisiana are probably going to split the cure bowl and the new orleans bowl depending on who wins and loses so i don't think the one that said george take going to the cure bowl is very likely i think that's pretty set in stone that that's going to happen and it probably is down to the two in Alabama, one in Mobile on the 18th, one in Montgomery on Christmas Day. And I guess we'll see where it shakes out. But my preference would certainly be seeing the, uh, playing again for Georgia State in the New South Alabama Stadium in the Lennon Tree Bowl. And I, that's a MAC tie-in. I feel like I might be siding with David here. It's time to get some revenge on Western Michigan for some tough losses that the Broncos
2: have given the Panthers over the years absolutely that is the one that i want to see i okay so i will take northern illinois if it happens because northern illinois has been a pretty fun team to follow this year if you're at all into mac football which for whatever reason i am um uh i think that you know georgia state versus northern illinois northern illinois runs the ball really well um you know georgia state obviously is a good defense against the run so you know that would just be a pretty fun strength versus strength matchup um However, I would it would tickle me pink if Georgia State matched up against a probably the weakest Western Michigan team that they've faced in the last few years and just tore the pants off of them. But, you know, we'll obviously let the NCAA gods decide whether or not that juicy, juicy rematch happens. Just
1: not Western Kentucky. We don't need a third iteration of the Georgia State Western Kentucky matchup. Like we've done it. I just think that both teams would like to play other teams in bowl matchups. You know, Georgia State played Wyoming in 2019. But other than that, it's been a whole heaping helping of hilltoppers. Uh, So we haven't explicitly mentioned, I don't think, but the bowl announcements come out on Sunday afternoon. So Georgia State will know by the end of this weekend where they will be going. It won't be any drawn out process longer than that. The other thing I'd want to mention about Northern Illinois, you do bring up an interesting thing because you know who Northern Illinois beat in their opener this
2: year, right? I don't, but I feel like it's somebody I should know. Like I, like we probably talked about.
1: Our it. friends on North Avenue, Georgia Tech. Oh, that's right.
2: So, oh, yeah. So if you match
1: up with the Huskies in Northern Illinois and you find a way to get a win, you can go, hmm, Georgia Tech lost to this team. Georgia State beat this team. So that is definitely for the. you laid out some really good football reasons why that wouldn't be a good one. But that's a non football on the field reason. And it's pretty, pretty appetizing. I, I like what you're thinking there.
2: Oh, that would just be the weirdest and interesting, most interesting of circumstances if it were to happen.
0: Yeah, you might have changed my mind actually. I was on previously on team Lending Tree versus quite literally anybody, but uh I don't know. I I kind of want to have something to hang over the uh, the guys on North Ave. So yeah, that'll be my pick, or honestly, anything that's not the Camellia Bowl on Christmas Day. I know yeah. I know pretty much nobody I've talked to is excited about going to Montgomery on Christmas Day or is even willing or able to. So uh, let's let's go check yeah. out uh, Hancock Whitney Stadium at South Alabama and hopefully get another win, please. I
1: am <laughs> saving my thoughts on the Christmas assignment until it actually happens. I, I've got a whole screed ready to go, but I'm not going to use it until I know we have to.
0: All right. So thanks, all three of you, for wonderful listener questions. We really enjoy talking about stuff, so please don't be shy. Ask us uh, anything you want, even if we don't ask for questions. If you ask us something, chances are we're probably going to get to it. But let's go ahead and get you on out of here this week real quick. A light week in Panther athletics as some sports have ended. Some sports are on break. But what's not ended is women's track and field are just actually starting today as of the release of this podcast. 10 a.m. in Clemson, South Carolina. The Clemson opener. Panthers will be in action all day. At that event, you can see the GSU Panthers Twitter account for updates on that. And then, of course, the aforementioned men's basketball game at Mercer, should that occur as we are expecting it to 2 p.m. and Macon, ESPN plus. And on the GSU mobile app, we'll be providing real-time coverage of that on our Twitter as well. And then Monday, men's basketball versus Voorhees College in Atlanta at 7 p.m. on ESPN plus and WRAS FM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. Hopefully, you will join us for that as well when we have our coverage of that game. But that is all we have for this week on the Thursday Night Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon patreon membership is just five dollars a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers you can also connect with us on social media or on twitter instagram and facebook as at thursday night and of course you can always catch our written material on our website thursdaynight.com the thursday night podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 jordan crawford enterprises llc all rights reserved